Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. Would you believe it? Same as always. But speaking of same as always, Michael, you can also call us the front of the plane <laughs> because we are all business to begin with. If you'd like to follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram, you can do just that at Podcast Horseman. Come at us, follow us, send us all your favorite things from the show. You want to talk about it, come and find us and please do just that. Or if you'd like to follow either of your hosts, you can also do that. Would you believe you can follow me on Twitter at it's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. And you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please do subscribe. Uh, find us on Spotify. Please do follow. Find us on Stitcher. Find us on Acast. Find us on pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. I imagine there will be potatoes right now that you can jam around and turn in and find us there because podcasts are everywhere in the mint but especially podcast horsemen um through apple podcasts and spotify in particular if you subscribe or follow you should be able to leave us a five star review if you do and leave us a few words um as we say every week they can be kind or they can be cruel we don't care we love the reviews and for every five star one we get it means it gets us up in the ranking it gets us up in the charts it gets more people talking themselves horse about the talking horse and it could get you listener in the hollywood talk of fame we will be inducting somebody needs that talk of fame later on this podcast yes we will and as i will always say to follow that if you want to send the crew words be sure to send them to at michael hamford <laughs> and any of the nice ones you can send to me at it's adam nicholas but for now whether nasty or nice doesn't matter because we're going over the netflix they've got some nice words for <laughs> this episode this is season two episode seven hank after dark diane goes off script during bojack's book tour jeopardizing mr peanut butter's new show todd gets involved in international affairs. I mean, just uh, where do we even begin with this one, Michael? Well, is it possible that that, like, there's your standard ABC plots. Is it possible that that Netflix stops this, like, undersells the drama and, like, allows you the comedic breather in the sort of synopsis before having to watch the episode and stuff and realise just how necessary that is? This is a major episode of BoJack, and it will touch on a lot of themes we've discussed before. Um, and it begins, like several have in the past, uh, in the 
vapid world of Hollywood. We are at an awards ceremony in 1994, um, in which the we find Scott Wolf and Matthew Fox, who of course are Wolf and Fox, from Party of Five, presenting an award for Male Animal in a Drama or Variety Show. That's Best Male Animal or Drama in a Variety Show, 1994. The nominations, we may know two of them very well, are Bojack Horseman for Horsing Around, Mr. Peanut Butter for Peanut Butter's House, and Hank Hippopopolis for Hank After Dark. Um, the winner is announced as uh, Hank Hyperpopolis. He is, um, for those that haven't yet watched the show or are trying to watch along with us, somebody with a very difficult to pronounce surname that you will hear butchered throughout this, but also the host of a chat show. He's positioned like a David Letterman, Jay Leno type in contrast to Bojack and Peanut Butter who have identical scenes that play out as such, where we see uh, horsing around, like have a scene that is then mirrored by Peanut Butter's house. Um, from the bright lights and the razzle-dazzle of the awards, we cut to the reality of the behind-the-scenes of the awards. It's Bojack drinking alone at an after-party award not in hand. This is not the end of season one. This is still the very beginning of his career. He bumps into Mr. Peanut Butter and his then-wife Katrina. Or should that be the other way around? Because Mr. Peanut Butter is quite glad to be in the presence of Bojack. We learn through a little bit of the dialogue that they're not really friends here. Peanut Butter is sort of pleased to meet and spend a bit of time with Bojack, kind of tacitly acknowledging that they're making the same show without realising that there's anything overtly wrong without that. Um, unfortunately, uh, Katrina Peanut Butter is not really that into the party. She's looking to get out of this conversation as quick as possible. And in doing so, she looks to somebody off screen and says, Erica, throw me a raft. I'm dying. That, of course, brings our Eric count up to eight. Erica was going to the parties in Hollywood all the way back in 1994. She was just then Mrs. Peanut Butter's get out of jail free card instead of Mr. Peanut Butter's. Um, he sort of suggests to Bojack that it's just great to hang with other guys like us. To which Bojack really cruels, really cruelly cuts him down. He says, There are no guys like us. I'm Bojack Horseman, and you're just some guy I'll never talk to again. If only he knew. They are both interrupted by award winner Hank Hippopopoulos. He's the one that says to the pair of them, upon seeing them together, what's this? A crossover episode, which is obviously something Mr. Peanut Butter would take with him for the rest of his life. We know that because he fanboys over the mere presence of Hank here. He can't get enough of him. He, uh, he takes a selfie, which in 1994 is holding a giant camera to their faces and hoping the picture will look good in six to eight weeks. Um, he says that, uh, you know, he just he just wants to be so much like him. He's thrilled to be in the same room and Hank kind of shakes him off. And then as Mr. Peanut Butter disappears, Hank takes a moment with Bojack and says that he has seen he's good, but you can't beat Uncle Hanky. That's just the way it is. Uh, Bojack sort of takes a look in at the middle distance of his party, who, for all that he thought he wanted to be there, he very clearly doesn't. And we cut to the credits. Nicholas, what did you make of yet another scintillating snapshot into Bojack's strange past? Always fascinating to take a little trip down memory lane in these flashbacks in an episode of Bojack Horseman. But... We've had two massive origins there, Michael mm. Hamlet. Two huge origins, and they're both Mr. Peanut Butters. And the <laughs> fact that this show is so good at showing you how the pretenders of Hollywood are influenced by someone or something from their past. Bojack, we see it with his mom and dad. Quite frequently, he ends up saying a phrase or commenting on something the way they would about his own work. Um, but Mr. Peanut Butter's gimmick, as has always been the case with this dog, is... Copy someone else. Uh, <laughs> but most importantly, I thought it was fascinating that we get this, what is this, a crossover episode from Hank. And he obviously, to, to the words, I think he believe he says, that is the funniest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> this whole thing has shaped Mr. Peanut Butter forever. 
including really the as we could see, strained relationship between him and his first wife. It mirrored a lot of the strains that we've seen him and Diane recently going through, uh, as if to suggest that whilst he's trying to be a good boy, a better dog, however you want to refer to it, like a lot of the same mistakes are being made because he kind of just is who he is. What could you say about that, Michael? Go on. About old dogs and new tricks, eh? <laughs> I thought you were just going to say all dogs' marriages go to heaven. Um, <laughs> we could, the episode starts proper with a scene in war-torn Cordovia. Uh, Diane is still on the phone. She's being begged to come over by Sebastian St. Clair. Um, she is actually at the airport, but she's not going to Cordovia. That's the reveal. She's, in fact, going on a book tour with Bojack and Princess Carolyn. She's going to Alaska. Um, and the airport television in the meantime shows that the ruthless despot leader of Cordovia is actually in L.A. Um, but Diane, Peanut Butter and Princess Caroline are locked in conversation about not getting into trouble while they're on this book tour. They missed that story completely, but we didn't. And let's get back to that one later on, because let's instead move to Juneau, Alaska, where they're having their first book Q&A. Um, <laughs> Princess Carolyn has just basically begged Bojack not to get them in any bother. This is about selling a book, which is in turn about selling a film. He's got more of a heightened profile than he's ever had before. So she, knowing Bojack, knows that he's liable to screw this up at the first case. So they're in this Q&A. Um, it's safe to say that these are people largely detached from the modern LA world that the three of them have become very used to. Um, and the first question comes from one of the fans. I says, your book talked a lot about apple fritters, which gets a bit of a chuckle. Uh, Bojack is looking already pretty offended. He gives Diane a bit of a sideways glance. So my question is, do you think Israel has a right to defend herself? <laughs> and what part, of, what part of that should the US play in it? The gag here is obviously that the Israeli-Palestine argument is one that is like could and then should never really touch. This is not a place for film stars to be offering empty gestures on. However, far from a platitude, Bojack absolutely smashes this answer, particularly pleasing two book shop customers in Israeli and Palestine trucker hats that kind of form a truce over Bojack's answer. He looks for the approval from Princess Carolyn, who shrugs herself, not knowing if he's done a good job, but the applause and the sort of knowing glances sense that he somehow got this one bag right, solving an age-old political and religious socioeconomic crisis with one answer. Such is the power of a Hollywood male. So over it goes, the next question to the Hollywood female, which is, of course, Diane. She answers a question about how Bojack's imperfections enhance his story. Again, the same thing she's been trying to get across to Bojack, let alone the readers of the book. And then, quite simply, for comparison, touches on other celebrities that haven't lost their own careers to doing, as she puts it, much worse things. And then somebody innocently asks, oh, like who? She notes Mike Tyson, Sean Penn, Josh Brolin, Christian Slater, Woody Allen, Hank Hippopopoulos, Bill Murray, at which point she's cut off. What about Hank? Somebody else finds in. What are you trying to say about Uncle Hanky? And then she just notes, well, all of his assistants made identical allegations. That is <laughs> immediately cut to Diane's comments making the news. Not, I should point out, the allegations against Hank that she's alluded to, but that, in Tom Gumbo Jumbo's words, what does this woman have against our Uncle Hanky? <laughs> the suggestion that Hanky Papopoulos has gotten up to no good with eight assistants who have all had the same story, which Diane has noted that people could Google, and everybody in the book signing Google, has uh, immediately been framed into a woman levying allegations against a man. The story has already been flipped on its head. Uh, in order to sort of validate Hank Hippopopoulos, or at least the news and media's view on men in positions of power, uh, Tom Gumbo Jumbo introduces a woman, Cardigan Burke, who is a, a basically a female commentary for hire. 
um, a lady with opinions who disputes the allegations and rather racistly compares Diane's comments to Viet Cong smear tactics. Because as Tom Gumbo Jumbo notes, is this anything to do with it being Vietnamese? And Cardigan Burke simply responds with a, a shrug. She is already being eviscerated for daring to bring these allegations back to light rather than the investigations themselves being picked up on. The allegations, should I say, being picked up on. Um, we briefly find uh, Mr. Peanut Butter on a set in conversation with an article on the website called Tit Puncher, um, noting about Diane's comments, which she has been eviscerated for. And he asks her, as her husband, to dial it back for the good of his career. Um, a lot has happened in that very short time, as is often the case in Bojack Horseman. But your thoughts at this point on this early dipping of the toe into these particular waters? We should say, as has often been the case in Bojack, predating the Me Too movement, but of course not predating known cases of abuse in Hollywood. No, absolutely not. I think when you take into context that this was well before the Me Too movement, yeah. Bojack Horseman, not afraid to tackle these things at a time when they were not being spoken about. Certainly not. Certainly not, Certainly not, not enough. enough. Yes, they were coming up, but they were very much being dismissed in the fashion they are being dismissed in this episode. Um, immediately, we get the news focusing in on this and the fact that it's a her who's saying all these things. A woman, a she, a lady, as they all mentioned. Even at the point where we have the woman who is as quoted here, and I'm just going to jump ahead and steal this because I think it's perfectly slot on here. The hippopopolis apologist and armchair sociologist, Cardigan Burke, who was there supporting this man who she loves dearly, Uncle Hanky, and she, you, you kind of get the feeling, even at this point in the episode, this is going to be a bit of an uphill slog for Diane. Yeah, they don't. I think you, you made a great point there as well. For all that was out there about certain people in Hollywood, this wasn't the sort of conversation that would generally gather a lot of traction and the way that they show how this gets traction is exactly why women were too afraid to come forward or the ones that did try were then suddenly shouted down i think it was really interesting that what we saw was the speed of the news traveling literally faster than diane bojack and princess carolyn should point out at this point that this episode is strung together by a series of destinations so rather than a title card coming up saying two hours later or a period of time later it's by geographical destinations so we know that the gang are in say it was juno in alaska and then the next thing will move us on to tallahassee meanwhile in la so it's like things are happening really fast out of their control and this is like a comment on control because this is something that diane should be permitted to have control of the narrative on and instead it is ripped from her grasp almost instantly before she even has a chance to make a tiny bookshop in Juneau, alaska her voice and her opinions are subverted and those opinions are magnified through like national news i think it's very deliberate that they pick literally alaska for this mm. Um, it was a smart way to play this to just immediately give you the impact of what this can do and how quickly these things can escalate. The general public at large are going to form their opinions not on what Diane has tried to make a statement about, but on yeah. the story about who Diane she making is, a statement. Who she is and what she said is what they're yeah. forming opinions on rather than actually what the problem is. <laughs> And that's really well expressed through the next um, Q&A, the next uh, book tour that they are, uh, the destination they reach. They're in Tallahassee in Florida, which is, again is like, you can see it's like literal backwater. They're in a tiny sort of like rusty wooden shack of a building with a one of them, I don't know what they're called, but those motorboats that just go along like the Florida Everglades. You can see one parked up as if that's how somebody's gone to the book signing. Um, she's on the phone, uh, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter, and we get the impression that she's completely oblivious to it. She's talking in very fond tones. Um, 
peanut butter in the meantime and we'll get to his story as it kind of runs concurrently with this but he's dealing with like stacks of hate mail back in la because that's where the story's kind of like gathered its gathered pace really quickly um but it's only when she goes into the q a that she realizes that this thing is starting to snowball um she's attacked verbally and quite violently for the comments um nobody has a single question for bojack it's everybody just wanting they're not they haven't got questions for diane they just want to abuse her for the comments she's made about their uncle hanky um there is a, a point where bojack rather pathetically but i think tries to deflect from diane by noting that he texts and drives he's actually now gone searching for the controversy in order to like not so much take the heat off diane but bring some of it onto him for two reasons one he's trying to have a back but he doesn't know how to do it without really mainly being about bringing the focus onto himself which i think is quite a and here we are like two males doing a podcast talking about a very very sensitive subject in the female community on a podcast like this is almost like bojack here trying to do the right thing by women but still mainly bringing the focus onto himself and again it's it's adam nicholas and at michael Hamlet on twitter for all these opinions on bojack Olsen. <laughs> but I thought that was quite powerful and we'll get a series of these attempts, these interventions from Bojack to try and do this, but never in a way that isn't also about just bringing the narrative back to himself. It's really hard to gauge what he's trying to get out of these interventions. And I think that's by design. I think that's there to make you ask the difficult questions about Bojack until the very, very end when him and Diane have a big conversation about this. Um, she faces the usual critique from people in these situations. You've all seen them below the line on Twitter, the bit where you have to click to view the replies. And you know you shouldn't, but you do anyway. Things where it says his assistants took his money. They were doing it for their claims to fame, all that sort of thing. Diane is absolutely livid. Um, she has been asked to let this one go which of course cuts us to her very much not letting this one go with Tom Gumbo Jumbo and Cardian, but Cardigan Burke now in the studio. They're screaming at each other. Nobody is getting a word in edgewise other than Tom, who says, ladies, you're being hysterical, which is his way to cut, which is where it's his cut down Cardigan Burke, who is somebody that they've got on side to fight against women. And he's still able to reduce her over the course of this awful statement. Bojack again cuts in supporting illegal child labour, which is his latest attempt to try and deflect, which fails. He literally walks into a shop to put his face in to talk about, yeah, sometimes you've got to use kids at cost, but that doesn't deflect away from this conversation. Again, his strange intervention has failed. There is some good intention mixed with some very bad, which I think is, again, far better to exist in the grey rather than try and make this story black and white, because from a male point of view, it's absolutely not. Um the, the line from Tombo Gumbo Jumbo might as well be what's been said in a book signing. It's the classic he said, she said. And then Diane retorts with, no, it's the classic he said, they said. Eight different women. Are they all lying? At which point she gets retorted with, probably, they all do that. She is wading through the grossest trick. She's not wading through treacle. She's wading through tar, isn't she, to try and get a message out here? Even worse. It's not that uh, it's not that it says that. Uh, of course, the lion. Uh, they all do that. This is Cardigan Burke, a woman who says, "Of course they are. We all do that." She, <laughs> she belittles herself in this exact scenario to support the the narrative towards uh, Hank Hippopolis because obviously there are bigger things at stake here for everybody involved with this, particularly Michael and news broadcaster network who are probably tied in some way shape or form to this whole thing i just want to point out the like the artful and elegant direction of this episode mm. um they, diane is confronted outright 
with like these allegations, but is so brave under such fire. The we've often called her the still point in this like psychotically turning world. She is the truth and the beauty of Bojack Horseman, and she says she takes no, she has no shame about discussing these allegations. The people that have come forward and exactly what he's done, but we, the viewer, are not able to see that because this television footage and this segue is fantastic. This television footage is switched off because the television is being watched by Wanda in her office, Bojack's girlfriend, network executive, another woman, another female, another somebody in a position of power. And she is literally switching off the allegations to go into a conversation she is having about the allegations and how much damage they are doing. This is quite an incredible cutaway gag. So we never learn what the specific allegations are. We just learn that Wanda is raging that this is even out there. She's angry, not about the allegations coming out, but with Diane, because Hank Hippopopoulos is so you... So, hey, uh, I think you can dance is going to go into the new uh, J.D. Sanger quiz show that we learned about last week. Um, like, what's it going to do with the network? What's it going to do for Mr. Peanut Butter? What's it going to do for Wanda? Um, she tells Bojack, who's in the office, to deal with... Uh, sorry, Bojack, that she's on the phone to, to deal with this as her boyfriend, as Diane's friend, and as Mr. Peanut Butter's colleague. He's left in quite a, a difficult position there. But again, just this thing about women in power that are unable to support women with none at all, I think is, again, one of the very sort of uncomfortable truths that this episode acknowledges and it'll do so sort of as we go through the episode but yet again i just feel like the involvement in news media here is um so crucial it uses the how speed and how quick the news travels because of the speed at which they callously pass along messages without research it shows how people can be rounded on and piled on in a filmed televised setting it shows it's a bit like the the old-fashioned thing about a comedian cutting down a heckler where one person's got the mic and one person hasn't but in this case, the heckler's got something more relevant to say than the comedian and can't literally can't get amplified. Yeah, and the whole situation isn't tailored towards helping that either, is it? Like, you and I both love Tom Gumbo Jumbo as much as the next person because <laughs> he's a very lovable will, but it's very clear that he's the man who is leading this conversation between the two women who are literally side pieces as Tom Gumbo Jumbo sits and is they are literally on the side, even as Bojack tries to get in that spotlight. Um, and I, I loved... Like when first watching this, realizing that they were going to try and explain and tackle the, it's not as simple as just tackling the problem because the problem is connected to someone else who is connected to this other thing who has another vested interest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The web grows bigger and ultimately it becomes a problem for Wanda, who we like. Wanda, Wanda is good. Wanda's doing a good job over at MBN, but but the person she's supporting on a TV show that is also part of her network that she needs to do her job right. Just so happens he's a, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. As we're finding out, yeah, unfortunately, it's not as simple as just saying, let's get rid of him. And this is where you start to get that, where the whole world feels like it's going mad around you and you think, how is this not just a simple, clear-cut case? And it's because, Michael Hamlet, of money. Money, it's it's money and it's it's power as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, um, as the... And this is not a nice thing to learn about, but it's an important one. As like the world learns more about the wheels uh, of power and sexual abuse and how sexual abuse can continue to exist and thrive in like most than all entertainment industries, as we've seen in the last several years. As we say, Bojack predates a lot of that, but it obviously you've got people on the show that were so close to it that it must have felt lived in for so many of the, the cast crew and the writers. Um, I just thought this was like one of several references to power to the point where even Tom Gumbo Jumbo effectively plays a judge, jury and executioner of this whole yeah. case, if you will. Mm -hmm. The newsroom becomes a courtroom where he finds Hank innocent 
with no evidence. And as I say, as a viewer, we are not permitted to see that because a woman also of power is somebody that has had to cut that off. Even we, the viewer, aren't able to learn about the allegation about the allegations. And Diane is the character with which we're living this episode through. Yeah. She's the she's the one voice of truth and virtue. And we can't get a full story out of her because another female in Hollywood won't let it happen. Um she is at least by Princess Caroline and Bojack introduced to Amanda Hannity from Manatee Fair um, to do an expose on Hank. Uh, Amanda's been looking to take him down for quite a while. She's a dominant female in the workplace. We see her dealing with all her various colleagues and just having total control over the room. It should be noted that some of those females are ones taking some shots from her as well. But nonetheless, she's somebody in a position of power, unlike Wanda and unlike Cardigan Burke, who is ready to listen to Diane, ready to take the story. Um, she empowers her to get in touch with his current assistant. Um, there are stories that have been with Hank for years that Amanda's not been able to do anything about, but Diana's encouraged by this. Um, in the meantime, I should point out, while they're doing this, Bojack is following along, trying to pitch things like life hack articles and stories such as, what are all those other shirt buttons for? Which couldn't be more like empty and male-centric, which again is missing the mark entirely. Um, but brilliantly, he's frozen out the meeting. The door is slammed shut on his face. This is not about him. This is about Diane and Amanda. So Diane meets Nicole in a shady car park at night, as we've kind of seen that place used before. Um, only it's not the assistant that she's there to meet. The assistant gets out the car looking very fearful, but she has brought Hank along in it, like with her. It's a setup. Um, the assistant looks extremely uncomfortable when Hank sort of gives her a stroke on the arm and says, good work. So we're, again, left to... I mean, like we didn't already, but we're left to 100% believe that whatever Hank has done in the past, he's still doing now. The serial abuser, again, a comment on how that tends to work in Hollywood because the wheels of power just allow it to be so. Um, Hank denies absolutely everything on the record because, of course, Diana's brought her, her dictaphone to get the, uh, the, the actual story of the assistant, and then he turns the recorder off he switches it off and he says to her, I'm not a bad guy, Diane. In 24 hours time, the news cycle will move on and I'll go back to hosting my dance show that employs lots of nice, good, hardworking people. You are pretty much done. People love me and they're not going to forgive you for this. If you keep pushing this, you're going to drag people close to you down. You had your fun. Go home to your husband. And this, Nicholas, is, I think, to this point, the best scene in all of Bojack Horseman and I just found it so incredibly moving because this came before me too. This yeah. acknowledged and opened the door to the reality of the abuse. It's not just the abuse. It's not the abusers. It's not the abused. It's the whys and the hows that people just cannot get their head around. People use people getting away with it as a proof of innocence when in reality it should be a proof of guilt. And this put it out there for anybody that either didn't understand that has never had a window into that world or has never been able to kind of figure out why, even good people that want to know why this goes on, this laid it all out. Rarely does Bojack go so naked with the exposition unless it's joking about exposition, mm -hmm. but this wasn't that. This was a how-to for how this gets done. This had the Hankipopolis character frame himself as a good guy because what he's done bigger picture is better than the lives he has ruined because those people are unknown. He values fame in the way that he puts down Diane and puts down the eight assistants that he's abused. Nine, if you include this other one, because we're left to assume that is going on. Like, I don't want to get back in that car with that assistant. She's having a bad time. Um, 
the manipulation of all those nice people that Diane will put out of work if she chases this further, including, of course, her own husband in this case. But that's not who he's targeting. He's targeting the minimum wage crew, the runners, all those sort of people, the people that Diane is at the level of, the people that are going to be on his set telling people not to trip over that cable are the people that Diane's going to put out of work or that's what he's suggesting to her he'll keep doing. It's how he's done it eight times before at least. Um the idea that he just values people by their status and nothing more reveals why he would abuse because he believes he's got carte blanche to do so. Breathtaking, breathtakingly good dialogue. And when we talk about The Wire and when we talk about The Sopranos and whoever's listening, pick your elite show. And I hope if you're listening, your elite show is Bojack Horseman. It's this, it's this scene right here. Brave wins all the awards should be isolated in the 1994 uh, Animal Baftas because this is as good as television gets. Bojack Horseman, Michael Hamlet. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this yet. Bojack Horseman is better than the shows that you oh. like. And this is why. Because I, we, I, the more we go through this, the more I've waited patiently for a moment to crop up where we are proven right and where like, we know that this show is doing stuff that loads of other shows almost all of the other shows on tv aren't doing mm. uh, and this is a literal breaking down how to guide it's like a diorama if you want of like exactly the process of the machine and why these things don't end up coming to fruition and One why after another after yeah. another like a yeah. bullet list yeah a bullet list a bullet list but also to show you just how complicated the situations are because ultimately people who are in the position of power end up abusing that power, letting themselves be put into a situation where actually, because a bunch of other people only know them as, hey, he's always been a good guy to me, when I've seen him, usually a bloke, they all think, well, I support him, and if anything happens to him, we're in trouble. He, the fact that he brings all the workers in, the hundreds of workers to, it's all true, they will end up losing their jobs from that show. These are, these are all moral things that Diane has to consider. But for me, like as as powerful as that all is, and I love this show for that. The amount of times that show will take huge overarching concepts in life and this world that you just have not had someone be able to break down to you properly and deliver them to you on a plate that is relatable. This is one of a million, one of a million in this show. But the most powerful thing to me throughout all of this is that in an episode where we are being told, and Diane even says the words along the lines of, I'm probably paraphrasing, um, the truth, I think the truth matters. And it's worth pursuing no matter what the cost or whatever she says. Mm -hmm. um, Diane has been the truth and the reality and the honest thing in this whole thing. Hank Hippopolis turns up to us, the viewer, and shuts up our truth, literally. Yeah. Like the image of him walking over and stomping on her cigarette and basically saying, nah, like I don't care if you're the truth. The truth doesn't matter. I'm Hank Hippopolis. I don't care. Like, and ultimately, my truth is what the narrative is. So this gaslighting version that he can pr provide in any way, shape, or form and manipulate everybody around him, that's the truth. Like, it's the truth. If it's the truth to three million people, then it's the truth, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Diane, I don't know where I got the number three million from, by the way. That's not a very good <laughs> number. It's, out, it's just a large number of people. Yeah. But if Diane's truth only is true to her and the eight people who have been affected by it, Who's, whose truth is the correct truth? And that's that's the story we are left with Yeah, even though we know what the actual honest truth is. And it's just, you're right, it's a massively, massively powerful scene, this. 
And I think what I suppose like we have to remember from this is that we analyse a television show, cartoon about a talking horse. But the point of this episode in particular is to feel the frustrations that Diane suffers throughout, and there are sadly more to come. Um, but remember that some very brave people in the real Hollywood made this television show. Some men and women, a man used this platform to raise up everybody else rather than be Hank Hippopolis in RBW. Um, we'll ask him about this when he comes on the finale. Um, he, <laughs> he made the choice to run this idea, run this episode. Um, Lisa Hannawalt, just to pick one out of thin air because we know that she's involved in the show, but I know for a fact there will be countless other men and women you Indeed. talk perhaps about the voice actors themselves, the female ones, whether it be Lisa Kudrow as Wanda, through having such like a litany of different experiences through film and sitcom over like 30, 40 years at this point. Um, or really anybody, like sort of any cast and crew member that put themselves forward for this, showed bravery that Diane does in this episode. And there's a reality yeah. there that underpins all that, that this show deserves such kudos for. And I think that's the, like, what if an actor is plagued by these exact worries that Hank puts upon Diane and doesn't want to do this job as a result. What if an actor says, do you know what, I'm not particularly comfortable with going through with this plot. So every actor and every person involved in this show has a credit against it. And it's a hell of a credit for the, from an ethical standpoint. But what if somebody in the real Hollywood didn't like that this message yeah. was being put out to the masses? Like they put their heads on the block for this message in very real terms in the way that Diane tries to in the episode. And that's amazing. Like that's what really is. Yeah. that's what this gamble was, and like nothing but respect for them. Not least when they continue to pile on Diane. It's very it's very important how much Diane suffers as she does in the very next scene. She's back in the office of Amanda Hannity, uh, uh, Manity Fair, and she kills the piece um, because the magazine's parent company. And there's the long gag here about it's AOL, Time Warner, Coca Cola, Disney, blah blah blah. The idea that basically at this point every major industry is just one giant conglomerate and something that happens here affects something that happens over here which affects something that happens over here as we saw with wonder working at mbm um as as she put it um unfortunately like these stories don't sell magazines but diane can read between the very thin lines here is that the networks of the networks of industries have all exerted their controls killed the story stone dead and amanda hannity who told diane she was looking to pin hank down for years has had the opportunity to do it and let him kick out it too yet again as she always will because of all the powers that be it's gross it's grim it's horrible um I should point out, actually, um, this is a strange thing to compliment him on, but uh, Philip Barker Hall, the, uh, who of course was the police commissioner in Ghostbusters 2, he's amazing. That Give me the Ghostbusters. He does a <laughs> phenomenal job. Isn't that your favourite film ever? With my favourite quote from my favourite film. Yeah, there you he, go. The cadence in which his voice changes from the like sort of fun-loving Uncle Hanky to this very, very sinister, insidious, awful man the voice acting is spectacular. Yeah. You are uncomfortable in his presence. We say that we joke about the talking horse show. This is a talking hippo scene. You are deeply uncomfortable in his presence. You feel the physical threat because a hippo is so much bigger than a woman. That's that matters here. You know, like all that sort of stuff, joking aside is really useful for the way they come together on screen. It's, uncomfortable television in the exact way that it should be uh it makes that point crystal clear and i just thought that like he deserves a shout out because everything else is very hollywood and very big and bombastic like get this thing off of me hiya guys all that not now not now that he's dealing with serious business and he know that his, his ass is on the line um diane's kind of at a low with this whole thing she's getting heckled in the street um they're leaving the the manatee fair office Di bojack at this point is just imploring her to give up and um, he doesn't believe hank not at all but he doesn't believe she can win. So what's the point? 
Um, at this point, and we will get to this, Todd suddenly bursts out of a window, having been in some sort of dark situation that he explains might lead to Cordovian genocide. But Bojack and Diane had no clue, because obviously they've been back in LA and they've mm -hmm. been trapped in the news cycle, which has all been about Diane. How dare she do this to Uncle Hanky? That's all they've been immersed in, which I think is a great comment on their 24-hour news cycle that an Eastern European country could about to be facing genocide because of something Todd's done that we sort of learn about through little cutaway gags. But they are completely none the wiser. Um, a, a car goes past and a stranger says, eat shit, Diane. And Diane just really, really needs Bojack to be on her side. A stranger has just said, eat shit. And it's not the only death threat or threat she's been receiving. Bojack again sort of says that he really is on her side, but she just can't win. And then, and this kind of ties up all those loose ends about Bojack going in for her, but also going in for himself. Says, like, has she been on his side? He's still pissed off about the book. Bojack is still pissed off about the book, earnestly pissed off about it. Everything that's been happening to Diane, and he can't let go of believing that this book was a bad idea in spite of everything that it has gave him. There has never been a Shades of Grey moment quite like it in this point for this Bojack Horseman character. He is asked to stand for something and he can't do it without getting out one of his own major frustrations up to this point. Diane, again, as she's had to do so many times, but he can't get it through his thick horse skull. You've got everything you wanted because of that book. You were a joke and now people take you seriously. He responds, yes, but you were my friend. You didn't apologise. It's weird you didn't apologise. It's still weird that you won't. So what does Diane do? She apologizes because women are beaten down by this world they're in, beaten down to the point where at their lowest ebb, they need to apologize to their best friend in a meal in order to bring them on side as an ally. This is so well handled because Bojack is not presented as a prick. Bojack, uh, the music, the tone of the voice that Will Arnett articulates this message in, feels like a wronged friend. If you separate this argument from this episode, does Bojack have a leg to stand on? Maybe one. One of his four will give him. Um, not so much that he just won't get that this book helped, but that Diane maybe didn't see it from his point of view at all. There was maybe a conversation to be had there. Was this the time to have the conversation? Absolutely goddamn not. And it's so important, I think, for the narrative of this episode that that's when they had it you are no you are sort of you want to be happy that they've actually been honest with each other and found some resolution to this argument that has brewed since the finale of season one but instead you just left thinking we've done it again bojack you've proven yes you are on a side and he really commits to it he really really commits to being on a side but he does it by wringing out an apology out of her like she's a sponge that you're trying to get the last droplets out of knowing he's the only other person that's lived through the last 48 hours of misery that she's encountered through the story and even at one of her lowest ebbs when she's been told to eat shit on the street he says well all right will you eat this shit first before i agree to join you like it's big it's big stuff this show's tackling huge absolutely massive and i would probably say that there is definitely a case here because the way diane talks to bojack once once we obviously this was not the time this was absolutely not the time for this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and Diane is completely worn out by the time she has to even remotely think about dealing with this. I imagine she'd want to have that conversation with him. And I do think she would think that he had a valid point. I think that is, I think that's genuine because Diane yeah. is, I don't think she's just trying to get out of this. I think she genuinely feels like it was weird. What happened between them was weird. The whole thing was weird. Um, 
Bojack demanding this apology right now, though, just, oh, it, it, it's painful. It's painful because in the midst of all that, you also have, as you're going to get to, Todd trying to interject. And, and in a weird way, Diane shutting down Todd. She shuts down Todd, mm-hmm. who's trying to tell her this massively important thing, this <laughs> humongously far more important thing. And Diane actually shuts him down as well. And it, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. The cycle spreads hate, worry, panic, fear, to the point where people are worn out, to the point where they've had enough. And there's a lot of that going on right now as we record this episode. And it just breeds more of it. And it makes people panicked and worried to the point where Diane, who's a good, proper good person, who's done nothing but the right thing in this episode, is being presented with something that normally she would be like, holy cow, we need to go and sort this out. Oh, this is worrying. This stuff that's happening in Cordovia. She shuts Todd out. Shut shut up, Todd. Here and Bojack simultaneously on the same page telling him to shut up. Like, that's what it's done to her. That's how much negativity has impacted on Diane throughout this episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. She's been chewed up and spat out by the machine, effectively, isn't she? And these, these sort of systemic failures of this system have like let her down to such a degree that, as you say, she's been reduced to that with Todd. And just that whole scene, like she doesn't win. This is the point sure. of this episode, is that she doesn't sure. get to win, like, at all. And and I just want to briefly touch on um, Mr. Peanut Butter a little bit to, before we go back to the finish of this episode, because normally we would just go on and talk about whatever light-hearted B-plot he was up to. But in reality, the B-plot here was his own, like, sort of, his own involvement from a, a distance in Diane's story, which, of course, was related to Bojack. He's doing his uh, publicity work for uh, Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Or as one abbreviates, H-S-A-C-W-D-T-K-D-T-K-T-L-F-O, um, for short, because it's just easy to have like little shortness like that, isn't it? Um, 
but he's buzzed <laughs> most, more than anything else. He's buzzed about working with Hank. Um, as we've said, these things are happening concurrently with each other. So Peanut Butter and Hank don't know that in the Diane's in the middle of a book tour, where he's reminding people that there was eight allegations from assistants and they're doing back-to-back photo shoots because Hey, You Think You Can Dance is going to be the lead-in to H-S-A-C-W-T-T-K-D-T-K-L-D-T-F-O. So like, that's just going to be like them two effectively as network colleagues now. And he's over the moon with this because, of course, we've seen the flashback where he hero worshipped him and now they get to be colleagues. He finally gets to be the guys like us. That's the exact word and news that he wasn't with Bojack. He gets that up hang. He's never felt more empowered, but the sudden arrival of box loads of hate mail for Diane off the back of what she's going, the conversation they have on the phone where he just asks her to take it easy in Tallahassee before she realises the true extent of like what these allegations have done to the news cycle back in LA. It leads to them sharing a rather strained conversation at the end of their days. Um, Diane is back in slightly happier than she was before because she's actually managed to get a story out there because BuzzFeed are going to do a list on it because in her words, they'll publish anything. So I can only assume that she's going to track down the uh, eight um, allegations, the eight assistants and maybe convert them into a BuzzFeed list. But she's happy to have gained somewhere to get the word out about Hank. At which point, Mr. Peanut Butter just says, please don't. I don't get why it has to be you. Mm. Um, there's again, the normally it's for laughs. But yet again, this is the mirroring of Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack. They are taking identical stances on something yet again. Um, this time it doesn't end so well for Mr. Peanut Butter. He's stressed about this impacting his career. He just can't fathom why it has to be her. He says you'd be safer in Cordovia, um, you know, doing that important work that you like. Um, but he also notes that he thinks it would be helpful to give them some space, which of course flies in the face of everything he's ever said about mm-hmm. Diane working in Cordovia. He was once a man that was worried about the physical threat that that would put his wife under. All of a sudden, is he more worried about that or is he worried about the status of his own job, the negative press that Diane is bringing to him, bringing to the network? It's the same situation as Bojack. You're not left as a viewer to villainize one or the other. You're just left to think about the ramifications and the spider web. And because it's so messy, like that that sort of fog of grey makes it really hard to actually land on who's in the right, who's in the wrong, is anybody right, is anybody wrong. The people that's in the wrong are the likes of Hank Hippopopoulos. And he's already he's already back across this story. We cut to end this episode with Diane back at the airport. Only this time she really is going to Cordovia. Um, she said to Peanut Butter, well, is that what you want? And he said negging her again well why does it suddenly matter what i want referencing the fact that earlier in the episode he asked her not to talk back but she did anyway because in his mind these two things aren't different and obviously in reality we the viewers know they are she's on her way to cordovia that television that was playing tom gumbo jumbo's news earlier on plays him <laughs> confronting hank hippopopolis in the big ratings grabbing interview that all the networks wanted but tom gumbo jumbo got he says did you do it Hank says, no. So Tom Gumbo Jumbo deems that a done deal that is over with. And he moves to the side. And in shot is Kanye West, who hates Thin Mints, which is the next scandal that is going to be brought upon, again, a minority performer. It was women. It is now a black performer. Um, <laughs> a white randomer in the airport turns to an extremely frustrated Diane. And in a line that cuts almost as deep, as Hank's monologue earlier on just says, hey, smile. Oh, man. Oh. Hard, hard sigh by Diane, hard cut to credits, and and I just don't know what else to add on the central plot of this episode. 
just quickly because it I feel it was intentionally trivialized Todd's little gags about the genocide is that in a story that wasn't particularly fleshed out by design he has undergone some sort of body swap with the Prince of Cordovia. In Todd's own words, he's been mixed up in some pretty bad shit. And um, we see the Prince of Cordovia go to a Chili's and is quoted as saying, hooray, being a prince. That's obviously Todd. So we're given all these clues as to what happened. We know that he might have triggered a genocide. We know that he might have given all of uh, the prince's money away as a Cordovian peasant. It's been the prince dressed as Todd, delivering all the hate mail to Mr. Peanut Butter on set without Peanut Butter noticing that it's him. But that has been left for our imagination at now at least to again mirror how LA have received the story they're not paying attention to a Cordovian genocide because that's some dumb European country that we don't need to care about because what's going on is here is a bloody woman is attacking one of our national institutions and that's the tale that they're trying to tell with that as a gag more than a plot so yeah back to uh, just smile just smile man it, this men, men are so, all men are, we're uh, the worst, we're the worst we are the worst the dirt worst this made me angry, this man mm. in the airport. And I'll tell you why it made me angry. Because he doesn't even know that he's doing anything wrong. That's the worst part, is that the way they do this, this show is so good. It's so good. Because if you're watching this show, you're probably the kind of person who wants to maybe seek out the deeper meaning in life, I think it's fair to say. This show caters to that. But that's it, it, imagine... It makes me angry to think there's people who watch that little last bit there. Maybe, maybe somewhere. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, he just said, just told that smile. Like, <laughs> yeah. That, it, because there are, and I know there are. Like, they, those people exist, and it's just, and you never know how deep that iceberg of someone's worst day goes. And he's just there, like, just smile. And it's especially some guy. Women, especially the expectation. Yeah, especially women. I didn't learn about this phenomenon until Twitter was invented. And I remember yeah. reading tweets by prominent yeah. females that said, isn't it great when random guys tell you to smile? And it had never struck me what a truism that is. It made me dread if I might have done it in my younger days, my less yeah. informed days, and just thinking about that and how that's such an expectation of every single woman, every single day, no matter what day that happened. Oh, smile. Ah, oh, it's just, it's horrible. This, this... Watch this, if you ever watch this episode, watch it again and again and again. It will never get old. You will notice more as it goes along. And it just is an absolute powerhouse of tackling a really big and difficult topic that, to be honest, loads of people think doesn't exist, which yeah. is, and that's still now. And that's after me too. That's, you know, it, it's, it's baffling. It really is. But that, I believe, is everything for you. Oh, I think this, so. I think so. Yeah. This week's plot. I think you need a break because it's time for some horsing around where we go back through the episode and pick out all of the hidden meanings, the small details you might have missed. So let's go all the way back. Hopefully, we can make things a bit nicer. Let's go to the 1994 Animal Choice Awards, Michael. <laughs> uh, and as the limousine pulls up, we see the sea life who've turned up for the show. They're in the back of a limousine that is a very long looking pickup truck, essentially, with uh, a, a body of water in the back to support <laughs> a starfish and two fish. And as you see, as the limousine pulls up, the license plate on the back is Tub Car One. We go into the awards and we get your hosts for the evening, who are, of course, Scott Wolf, who is a wolf, and Matthew Fox, who's a fox, Michael. Incredible, <laughs> yeah. They've done, they've done to Matthew Fox what Team America did to Matt Damon in a, a completely different way. 
Um, but of course, these two were both on the show Party of Five together. Most people will know Matthew Fox. If you don't know him from there, we'll know him from the TV show Lost, of course, the main character in that. Jack, what a guy. Um, mm. But I just, this, this whole, these two will continue to pop up throughout this, and they are hilarious. Matthew Fox in particular. Uh, just a little nod to um, their reference to Billy Crystal. They said, Thank you, Billy Crystal, for that impersonation of a black person, which is, of course, reference to Billy Crystal's. Uh, when he hosted the 84th Academy Awards in 2012 and just decided it would be a great idea to do some blackface of <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. And how on earth that was happening in 2012? Oh, well, I don't know. Let's move on. So that would have been, I was going to say, that would have been recent for when this episode was written as well. Yes. That would have still would, been in the kind of public consciousness like Three the, years ago. Three years yeah. prior to this season being written, which is... Grimly fresh. Yeah. <laughs> it's way too fresh. Way, way too fresh. Um... And just another notable thing here, in the clips that were shown of all three potential winners of this prize, Hank Hippopotamus's um, clip, he's in there and he's talking to a wildlife expert. The wildlife expert, though, instead of being a person, is a monkey dressed as a person in a very Steve Irwin-like <laughs> kind of get-up. And normally you'd see it would be the chimpanzee or something crawling up the host's arm. But instead, it's a baby who's crawling <laughs> on Hank's arm as he wiggles it around saying, get it off me, get it off me, in a comical fashion. We then go to the after party at the Chateau Marmoset, Michael, which for anybody who knows their hotels in Hollywood will know that is a parody, of course, of the Chateau Marmont Hotel, which is on Sunset Boulevard. But most notably, a Marmoset, of course, Michael, being this little monkey that you would find, a little American monkey. Well, as it happens, who do you think the bartender is at the back? We do, of course, have a Marmoset who is serving all the drinks in there. Oh, but nice. That is a very, very background gag amongst a bunch of foreground gags, which <laughs> include, but are not limited to. Some wonderful signage here. There's a banner that says, congrats to the winners on one side of the room. And on the other side, a banner that says, sorry, losers. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so, like there's a, it's a carryover, we said before, from Arrested Development, isn't it? Like yeah. these banner and t-shirt oh, gags. Are like, they're so big. Tons, tons of them. And I like that thing, if you look correctly, everybody's sort of still in the right part of the room as well, which is brilliant. Um, there's also Matthew Fox, the first of two wonderful guys here. When he first comes in, he's on the right-hand side, and he can just be seen eating a bunch of canapes off the tray of a waiter, but he's not doing it with his hands. He's just got his mouth in the chair <laughs> and eating all of the canapes off the tray. In attendance, you will see certain people like Cameron Crowe, who we've seen in this show, who is, of course, a raven, Michael. And there's also the network executive and Angela Diaz, you remember, who was the mm -hmm. woman who fired Herb Kazaz. And the last gag here, well, two actually, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter saying that he loved Hank Hippopolis's Dance Pop Cosmopolis, which, <laughs> try saying that when you've had a few Cosmos, and I think you might struggle a little bit. But not quite as much, Michael, if you've drank as much as Matthew Fox has, who at the end of this scene is again on the right-hand side of the screen, but this time he's just drinking the wine out of someone's wine glass. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he doesn't get any older that. Let's cut to the airport in Los Angeles where Diane is waiting to get her flight. We see in the background there is a plane for Panda Am, which is, of course, a reference to Pan Am Airlines, of course, in America. We also see the family of birds who walk through the airport. Now, the episode, I believe, is uh, the third one, Prickly Muffin. There's a family of birds we mentioned on this very show who are walking past the supermarket to go into the shop. Well, they have made a reappearance in season two as a bunch of extras as they are seen walking through ah, the airport with nice. the suitcases getting ready to go on a holiday, nice. which, of course, 
is just Bojack being great once again. Um, Bojack is reading a magazine in the airport. He's reading Variation magazine instead of Variety magazine. <laughs> but if you pay attention, you will see on there it says that the Kirk Cameron show has been cancelled. Michael, which, for anybody who remembers, is one of Wanda's ideas that she pitched in Season 2, Episode 2, that was on her board. So, unfortunately, nice. while Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Might be about to do all <laughs> It seems like the Kirk Cameron show just didn't quite work out. Right. Um, Tom Gumbo Jumbo, though, does give us a few little bits of gags on the TV that we see as he pops up. The first of many in this episode, I should point out. He says, Prince Gustav is a ruthless despot, but I'd still rather share a bed with him than my ex-wife. And then he quickly says, Shannon, I didn't mean that. Which is <laughs> a continuation we've seen of Tom Gumbo Jumbo going through a pretty difficult divorce with his wife that keeps creeping into his news. Uh, more on that, I'm sure, as we go on. <laughs> um, we cut to MBN. Um, there's a huge banner on the skyscraper of the building that we will see progressively getting more and more made, shall we say. And it's for... Um, Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do they know? You know think, <laughs> let's find out. A massive banner, super long, almost goes to the very bottom of the skyscraper, continually being filled in throughout this episode. Mr. Peanut Butter is back at it again with the Hank Hippopopolis um, tongue twister, shall we say, because he says he's such a big fan of his that he even had the Hank Hippopopolis hip-hop hypothesis, which I'm told <laughs> is... Is a very good rap album, I think he says. I may be wrong about that. Don't quote me. I'm still trying to get over successfully saying Hank Hippopolis Hip Hop Hypothesis oh, in nice. correct order. Also, he whips out a picture that he took at the 1994 Animal Awards, uh, which is hilariously, as he says, he needs to maybe it'll get developed. I think we got it. Well, as it turns out, he definitely didn't. It's a picture <laughs> of him and Bojack and just the eye of Hank Hippopolis. <laughs> How many people this must have happened to in the 90s? Yeah, again, another extra eye in Bojack. Extra eye. Yeah, <laughs> well spotted, well spotted indeed. As we were in Juneau in Alaska for the first part of the book tour, uh, the woman who has organised the book tour and the day to bring everybody in is a worm, Michael, which I guess makes her a bookworm oh, in this no. scenario. Of course it does. Um, it. And Some lovely stuff, yeah, because very hidden on a bookshelf, Michael, just in the background on a bookshelf, very faintly written on this book, is, of course, the title for the book, The Fault in Our Stars, which is the novel by John Green. But, of course, how relevant is this to this episode, The Fault in Our Stars? We're about to dive right into it with Hank Hip-Hop, Hip-Hopolotamus, and all of that. <laughs> um, go to MSNBC News and just some brilliant, brilliant gags. Yeah, Randy is at it again on the teleprompter. But we get the intro to the news. Tom Gumbo Jumbo says, Stanky Hanky, allegations vile and ranky. <laughs> <laughs> Before we see an image of Diane versus Hank Hippopotamus and Hank Hippopopolis, even. And we see Vox Hippopopoli, which is like the Vox Pops that you would get from people mm. who get their interviews. And I thought that was wonderfully done. But on top of that, we do, as I've also mentioned, get the strong opinions of Cardigan Burke, who is the Hippopopolis apologist and armchair sociologist. Um, we go to the next bit in Tallahassee in the little shack, as you so eloquently put it, that's called Swamp Reads. Uh, and on the exterior of that shop is a sign that just says, Meet Bojack, famous horse guy from the TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. He's Brilliant. never going to shake it. He's never, never, gonna never it. ever going to shake it. And also we get a crocodile who's turning up for the thing who pops out of the water and just jumps onto the land and then is fully standing. Nice bit of animal work there. 
Back to MBN, we get a bunch of workers here. There are a bunch of worker ants putting this set together, and one of them is rolling a huge tennis ball with their legs rolling in a certain direction, wearing the T-shirt that every day is leg day, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's also and uh, the bit where Mr. Peanut Butter is on the phone to Diane. He says, <laughs> in a great reference to the catch in the rye, he says, and I'm getting along really well with J.D. Sanja. Did you know we both hate phonies? <laughs> Which is, of course, a reference to Holden Caulfield from the catch in the rye, who really does hate phonies, Michael, and says the word repeatedly. Now to get your favourite gag in the whole wide world as we read the article from Tit Puncher magazine online. Oh, my this word is monumental stuff, uh, but I'm going to have to take a pause just to read it all for you. You will see a shot on the iPad that Mr. Peanut Butter is looking at. He's on the website, titpuncher.com, and we see the article. I'm just going to read or attempt to read this out without falling <laughs> off on myself laughing. So the headline for this one reads, Feminutcase hates Hippopopolis. Equine biographer and feminist slag Diane Nguyen has hitched her pussy wagon to the backs of cults like Secretariat and Bojack Horseman in order to make a name for herself. And now her pussy wagon's itching for a hitching to a horse of a different colour. A horse popotamus. Old Dryan is dragging our beloved Uncle Hanky's name through the mud to get airtime for herself and her bull-hating agenda. Are any of the allegations against Hippopotamus true? Nobody knows. The fact is, Hanky is worth 800 million billion, probably. <laughs> plenty, pl plenty of incentive for numerous chicks to peg this hard-working hippo with accusations and hitch their pussy wagons to his fame. Diane is just the latest bitch to dig for his hippopotamus gold. Fight Club is a good and important movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what an absolute monumental thing this is. I do want to talk more about this, but on the side, we also have a bunch of things that are trending and some adverts. We've got an advert for Chicken for Days. We also get three, <laughs> additional, three additional trending articles. One is installing a glass ceiling in five easy steps. <laughs> the, the next one is sandwiches. They should be made for you. Actually, there's four here. I tell a lie, because there's another one that says, MRA day, parade float collapses. And we've got a picture of a flaccid penis float. And then we do have at the very bottom, review, nag cancelling headphones. <laughs> which is just, is a double joke in so many different ways. Michael, I feel like we have to say at this point, this is brilliant writing from the writers of this show. But they have tapped into all of the idiotic, hateful, angry, aggressive commentary of let's be honest, men, uncomfortable men who don't want women talking about men, which is all complete rubbish. Obviously, we know this, but it is impossible to not laugh at the, the verbiage they use because you know how stupid it is and how ridiculous these people are and they've, how they've managed to carefully walk that line of, we know this is stupid language, but they're still going to make you laugh because it's hilariously stupid. They're making you laugh at the writer constructing that piece, the website that employs that writer, the website that has advertisements for nag cancelling headphones, yeah. um, chicken for days because don't ask questions, just keep eating. Um, that, is, that is such a pointed and now, as we see, like incredibly topical reference because, look, there's two sides of the internet and you want to be on the nice one and not on the nasty one, but you know that exists. And... 
all of that dialogue, I think, is so it's badly written. It's ham fisted. A yeah. uh, hundred million billion dollars, probably. Sorry, uh, eight hundred million. Eight hundred million billion dollars, probably. Shows no research being done. Yeah. Uh, a complete idiot behind a keyboard. Um, that is who this is absolutely eviscerating. Like, and it can't do that effectively without bringing that language of hate and flipping it on the like the proprietors of that language for the benefit of a gag at their expense. And no, that sounds like a kind of guilty explanation around laughing at that, but that really is the joke. And mm. I know and trust at least Bojack Horseman's audience yeah. would trust the writing team with that. But it's just really important that stuff like that doesn't ever get taken out of context. And that's the thing, because again, much like the other jokes, in the wrong hands, someone's reading that and going, yeah! Like, yeah exactly, that, yeah. It's, it's a dangerous line to walk, but you'd like to think the people who are watching this show get that wholeheartedly. And it's the, I have no doubt and complete trust in the writer's room there. Uh, peanut butter is magnifying the status of tip puncher as mm. a male in the wrong versus yeah. Diane, who is telling him to just blow it off and not care about it. Yeah. And it's like that, it's showing that these are influencers, these sites, mm. whether we want them to exist or not, these Twitter accounts, these people, whoever that we suddenly find ourselves in contact with on occasions. They do carry weight, they do carry influence, even if it's just with people that should know better. They do have an audience, and that's yeah. why they still exist, which is a shame, but it's true. Um, let's move on. Let's get ourselves to inside of um, Swamp Reads after Diane gets off the telephone. Just a quick one here. There's a bunch of license plates on the top. This show with license plates, man, God damn it, they'll be the mm. death of me. There's three that I can kind of, Decode, I guess. The rest of them I will leave to our fine listeners of Podcast Horseman. Give us your thoughts at Podcast Horseman, but you'll see them all on the top. The three I picked out are there's one that says B4YOULV, which is, of course, before you leave. There's one that says 4DD 4MS, which I made out as Adams, perhaps like the Adams family, maybe, in a in a long-winded reference somewhere along the line. <laughs> and there's another one that says R3ADGUD, which is, of course, read good, which some of them probably don't if they're spelling good like that. But never mind, this is an abbreviated license plate. If you have any ideas about the others, please do let us know. Um, but some of these signs within this um, book reading, which is not really a book reading, it's more like a witch being bared of the stick by all these people. Um, there's a bunch of angry signs for Diane, some of which are so stupid. One of them reads Diane, and then they try to spell her surname three times by spelling it Ungoy, Nago, and Newt. And they eventually <laughs> just given up after crossing that out three times and just settled on sucks. <laughs> Diane sucks <laughs> because it's just easier that way. There's another sign that says Diane Nguyen, spelled correctly, although her name, Diane, is spelled Di, D I E, and then Anne on the end. Because obviously, that's what you want in this scenario. Not that it escalated quickly or anything. Slightly less intense, there's a woman in this in the crowd who can be seen wearing a Guten Bourbon t-shirt, which is, of course, the urban German bourbon that Todd was the rep for and Bojack attempted, I guess, technically, before Todd took over. There's also a woman who's holding a signed picture of Hank Hippopotamus, just like, I love Hanky, and just holding it close to her chest, which is weird. <laughs> and, Michael, incredibly, there is another callback to season one, of course, another episode centered around Diane, Live Fast, Diane Nguyen, where Diane's father dies and she mm -hmm. goes to Boston to go and sort it all out. Who is sitting in the crowd but the old goat woman who gets hit by Derek Jeter? Or she gets, <laughs> she gets hit by the barrel of chum and Derek Jeter steals her purse, yeah. I should say. She is there. She's come out to Tallahassee 
to come out the swamp weeds and see Diane again. I bet she doesn't remember her at all from when she walked past the pub that she was standing in. Still <laughs> a little bit to go here, man. This is a long one, this. That's but right. um, I like MSNBC. We've got MSNBC here, Michael. There is a ton of things here. First of all, let's start with the headline. Diane, you in cranky about Uncle Hanky. Follow <laughs> followed by the little ticker across the bottom, which has a bunch of news stories, and I'm going to have to just read them all out for you. We've done this before. I'm going to do it again. This is going to be the longest episode of the season by <laughs> a long stretch, I think, but never mind. Let's get into it. The ticker reads in, in, in this order. Prince Gustav introduces sweeping reforms to Cordovian legislature, uses salad fork as backscratcher. <laughs> the next story reads... Lab Rat Union files class action lawsuit against scientists. <laughs> Next one is comical misunderstanding leads to royal wedding for Prince Gustav. Sponsored headline, scientists declare chicken for days, new glut bucket, part of a balanced breakfast. Glut <laughs> <laughs> <Love> bucket! <laughs> I wish everybody at home could see the face Michael Hamlet's just pulled. Just... The court- Cordovian Prince Gustav wins silly dance contest. Cordovian peasants starve. <laughs> they should get Police, they should. They should indeed. It's part of a healthy breakfast. <laughs> the police find that mandatory body cams are great for taking selfies. There you are. <laughs> Food fighter Cordovian embassy reminds stuffy old dignitaries how to have fun. Take job at NBC, they said. You can write novels on the weekend, they said. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we also had hot new fad taking America's youth by storm, the measles. <laughs> Cordovian rebels seize capital. And then the one that gets just cut off at the end is 22 insane. And then we don't get to find out what it is. But mm-hmm. next time we do see a quick flash of the screen, there is one tiny additional one that we see, which says character actress Margot Martindale seeks parole. Mm. I wonder where that could leave Michael Hamflit. Back to MBN, and we see a quick ga- a quick animal gag in here as the set's being built. There's a hammerhead shark who's just headbutting a nail into a wooden frame with his head. Fantastic stuff there. Then we cut across to Manatee Fair. And as if we go into Manatee Fair, which is, of course, itself a play on Vanity Fair, the magazine, we see a bunch of things in here. There's a lovely list in a, in a, a meeting room. You see a list on the wall that is the list of ins and outs in Manatee Fair. Well, let me tell you what's in, Michael, because in is black, velvet, whistles, snakes, empathy, and cool hats. Because who <laughs> doesn't like cool hat? And out, as it just so happens, and I get no surprises for here, uh, for guessing these ones, out is white, gross, <laughs> bells, leopards, bullies, and, of course, dumb hats. Because course, who would want to wear a dumb hat? when you can wear a cool one. Um, there was also Amanda Hannity with a lovely tongue twister. Hank Hippopolis has given me so many of these this episode. She says, I would love to take down Hippopolis and finally topple the Acropolis of monstrous hypocrisy that ensconces all. For oh, goodness fantastic. me. Brilliant stuff. Weird gags that Princess Carolyn herself would be proud of. Absolutely. And a funny side gag that's just an animal completely shocked with these massive eyes looking at a piece of film and looking up, up and down, which is, of course, actually named... A big-eyed lemur. <laughs> so, I mean, the perfect fit for the job, it seems. We go, and actually, if you go back to Manatee Fair in a different scene, you will also notice that outside of um, Amanda Hannity's window, she's pondering what's going to be happening in the future. 
and talking about that really long name of the people who basically told mm-hmm. her, no, AOL, Time Warner, etc., etc. You will see Michael Hamflin. The Statue of Liberty is in this episode, although it is not as it would appear, because the Statue of Liberty is actually a cat, which makes it the Catchu of Liberty. The Catchu of Liberty, And yeah. the cat holding, instead of a flame, it's a little ball of string, like a cat right. would have on a cup. Very good. Yeah, stuff. We cut back to MBN. It's more hate mail, unfortunately, for Diane. Just a couple mm. of little tidbits we see here. There's a hate mail addressed to Diane, again spelled Di, but this time Anne, not even the right kind of spelling of Anne. And then instead of New Wind, Michael, it's Noose Yun, which oh. is just <laughs> so intense and followed up by, if anybody had really hawk eyes, they will see that there's another bit of hate mail, a picture. It's just a picture of Diane being stabbed by a giant Eesh. sword. Oh, not good. Yeah, it feels good. lived in, doesn't it? Yeah. Like these these feel like tragically inspired by real life experiences. Indeed. We cut to outside of Manatee Fair after Diane has finally lost her battle. We see a bunch of stuff here. There's a window wiper who's cleaning the windows that is uh, works for Black Black Widow Windows. He's a spider. He's got eight arms and he's cleaning <laughs> the whole thing. We also see a honey store called La Bodega Abeya, which, as I have done my homework, Abeyo is B, so the Bodega of Bees, I guess. Uh, and it sells, you see in the window, it sells local honey, Michael, but also in the other window, it sells distant honey <laughs> <laughs> from maybe a little bit further away than local. Yeah. There's also a little uh, side, as we move along that sidewalk, the same sidewalk, we find Diane and Bojack in an alleyway talking. On the wall, there's a poster similar to the Obey poster series that you will have seen that has since inspired a bunch of Obey-related um, merchandise, I guess. It's just a sheep in the face of Andre the Giant instead, and it just says, Obey! <laughs> a simple gag, but a good one. And in keeping with street artists, there's a little doodle at the bottom on a bin that's been done. Now, there's a Famous painting by Banksy where it's a man in a suit with a grenade on it as a head. And instead, this is a man or a, per- a bird in a suit, I should say, a little Tweety bird, very similar to Tweety Pie from uh, Looney Tunes. That head on top of a business person's body about to pull the pin of the grenade with their mouth. Now, we both pondered this and we figured that using the colloquial terms, perhaps using the past four women, the term bird often used amongst men when being laddie, I guess you'd like to call it. Um, chick as well. The chick as bird, mm. indeed. Yeah. With the mouth on the pin about to pull the grenade, obviously feels very much in reference to Diane about to try and lift the lid on all of the Hank Hippopolis stuff. And I guess, which would essentially be like committing career suicide is what we so, seem to be yeah. getting the general gist of here. Uh, we do also have Todd who bursts in at the scene for a tiny little moment here. <laughs> and what you will notice is he's got no clothes on apart from some underpants. And you will see that on his arms, he has the tattoos that he was given in prison. He yes. still has those. They remain on his arm for the two gangs he was trying to be part of in <laughs> uh, prison. The LA Kings, and I forget what the other one is, at Podcast mm. Horseman, if you can remember off the top of your head. There's also a store, quickly, that's called Talons and Claws Store. They do manicures for $20 on nineteen ninety nine. But if you're an octopi, it says an octopi manicure will cost you eighty nine ninety nine because oh, <laughs> there's more to do. And you can also get flea dips only for $29. Wonderful stuff. Quickly, quickly across to MSNBC for the last thing in the news. Finally, Michael, God, Lord, this has been a long episode. Um, just made me laugh. The headline for the Kanye West story, Thin Mints, I'm going to let you finish, it says. And then... <laughs> Underneath Kanye West's head, you can see the catchphrase, Yeezy Kableezy. Oh, 
because of course he is easy and the catchphrase that we saw uh, I, I always forget her name Olivia's um, isn't it Olivia's catchphrase uh, Yowza Bowser Bowser that actually got over her that actually yeah. got over to the point where they're calling Kanye West by the same thing but <laughs> my word that was a long episode for those we have gone long but that is all that I have in terms of horsing around I do however incredibly still have time for <clears> just one last thing, and then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. I'm going to go first, Michael. Okay. Because this is technically just one more little horsing around bit, I guess. But I thought it was really clever and um, really well done. Now, earlier in the season, season two, episode four, to be exact, um, the after part, after the party episode, Todd and Princess Carolyn are in a car, and they are driving away from the party. And it's when Carolyn's trying to figure out what, like how Kevin looks like um, Vincent Adultman. That's the whole, mm, is he cheating yes. on me or is this a, his kid, et cetera, et cetera. And Todd says, ah, you know, lots of people look like lots of people. I mean, take me, for example. People say that I look like Octavia Spencer. I've changed the order of this a little bit and you'll see why in a second. Octavia Spencer. People say I look like that guy from the Guten Bernards, but they also say he looks like the Prince of Cordovia. Oh, ends up paying off handsomely just three episodes later. What a nod that is. Like, that's such a little bit, but they tell you what's going to happen in future episodes, and they let us know that he looks like Prince Cordovia, which I thought was really clever. How dare they? That is How tremendous. Hiding in place, Michael. Which, ironically, is exactly what Kevin's doing as he walks. <laughs> a call back to a call forward. You absolutely, quite literally, love to see it. I've also, I've, I've skewed gaggy with this one. I thought, like, I'll try and find a bit of light in an episode that would make this dark. Um, and it was just, it kind of referenced one of the jokes that you've picked up on in Horsing Around. It's, um, we kind of only really touched on Mr. Peanut Butter and what he was up to on the, the set and the planned set of Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Why do I keep doing that? They've given us the abbreviation, H-S-A-C-W-T-D-K-D-T-K-T-L-F-O. Um, but anyway, on that show backstage, it's after, sorry, it's just before the bit where he jokes, obviously, that he gets along great with J.D. Salinger because they both hate phonies. Not only did I take that as a reference to the cash for the right, the fact that that line followed Princess, uh, uh, sorry, Mr. Peanut Butter on the phone to Diane, describing his entrance to the show being, and I quote, somersaulting out the mouth of a giant set of his head with dollar signs for eyes. <laughs> That's <laughs> a very literal, phony Mr. Peanut Butter head with yeah. dollar signs for eyes that he's going to do a somersault of. But him and J.D. Salinger, man, they hate phonies, as he silently... <laughs> takes one of the great American authors and just points at a, a flashy spangled suit, which has become J.D. Salinger's job on set. He is one task away from telling people not to trip over the cable on that show, but he's found his dream outside of that bike shop, and there's something quite sweet about that. He's working the costume department, essentially. <laughs> I don't know how it's happened. J.D. Salinger, incredible writer, has been reduced to this in a world where, let's be honest, Mr. Peanut Butter is the king of being phony. He's a party as well with his Erica stick and all that kind of patter. <laughs> um, wonderful, wonderful stuff. But now that we've done all those, let's. these people are going to want to end this podcast at some and point. We have today. gone long. We have gone we long. We have gone long. So quickly, um, just some plugs. I won't even try and give you any fancy... Fancy spiel with this at Podcast Horseman on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow this podcast on there, you can also follow myself on Twitter at it's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamlet 
at Michael Hamflit. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please do. Please subscribe. Please rate and review. Follow on Spotify. You can listen on Aircast. You can find the podcast and get it to tweets every Friday on the app Podcast Horseman feed. You can listen on Stitcher pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. And as we said at the start of this show, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify with five stars and a few comments, you may get read out. You may get inducted into the Hollywood Talk of Fame, which is exactly what Wilton91 has done. He has said the Podcast Horseman review review. Absolutely love the podcast. Bojack is one of my favourite shows of all time. I'm loving the analysis you guys bring to the show and the breakdown of the characters and their motivations. It brings a new perspective to the show. It has been a joy re-watching along with the podcast and finding all the little boy poppers I miss first time around. And let's just say girl poppers for the benefit of this episode as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Wilton91, for that review. A star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame will be winging its way to you through the socials pretty much when we get the chance to get round to it on Instagram or Twitter. Indeed, we've been doing this nice little batch of three recently, which mm. is, all, I'll be honest, is only for me, so it makes the Instagram page look <laughs> really pretty. Little three rows of three, oh, make me very happy indeed. But enough about me, more about Bojack Horseman, and next week's episode, we are on season two. Let's go to Netflix for the synopsis, and episode eight, let's find out, it's called. Bojack is one of the celebrity guest stars on the first episode of Mr. Peanut Butter's Game Show, but the game doesn't go as expected. And you know what it is, Michael? You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you can listen to this podcast next week and find out the rest of that song lyric. I have been Adam Nicholas. I'm Michael Hamlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.